Welcome back to another episode of Our Trumpet Life, a podcast focused on teaching, learning, and sharing all things trumpet in a positive atmosphere. I'm Ben McCarthy, one of the co-hosts of Our Trumpet Life, and I'm a teacher and a performer in the Virginia Beach, Chesapeake area of Virginia. And I'm Derek Watson, a freelancer in the Denver, northern Colorado area. And I'm Chris Navarrete, currently the director of bands over at the California State University of Chico. And I'm David Moore. I'm currently a freelance trumpet player in the northern Colorado, Denver area, soon to be in the central Illinois area. I'm the incoming professor of trumpet at Millican University. In today's episode, we are talking everything jazz routine. Yes, there is a jazz routine, and we are going to talk about that and all its encompassing details today. So let's get started. So my question is, what does a jazz routine even look like? I think this is one of those topics that you and David are going to have the most input on. I'm really interested in see what all you guys work on. That, when I was studying jazz, was one of the things I struggled with the most, was what all am I supposed to work on? And I think part of it is, as a classical musician, you have a pretty set list of things you need to work on every day. And on the jazz side, I just could not figure out what those things were, and they're not necessarily told to you. So I'm really excited to hear what you guys have discovered since you started putting together jazz routines. You know, that's something I've been for years transitioning from being primarily practicing classical music to starting to work in the jazz element because you have to work on both and what better way to do it than in a routine because you'll be consistent, work on all the fundamentals, all the same principles and benefits that classical musicians get from a classical routine. And through my years of discovery, (laughs) we'll call it discovery, it really comes down to a couple things. And I tried my best having talked to professionals that do this for a living that have routines. It's really not that much different than a classical routine other than the improvisational factor. Well, Chris, I completely agree with you. Uh, the layout of my jazz routine versus my classical routine, they're, they're as, as far as the order in which I tackled fundamentals, it's the same. I mean, in fact, the very beginning portion is exactly the same. I do the same long tone exercises. I do the same lip flexibility exercise. I think that separate, you know, we talked about this in a previous episode, you know, there's maybe certain fundamentals that stick out a little more depending on what style you play in. And so for me, you know, to, to develop the improvisational aspect of it, your knowledge of theory the way you he- the way you hear these sounds, and then your your finger dexterity and articulations, it has to be so well ingrained that that you're just coasting, right? That that's you know when you're when you're working on bebop vocabulary and all the technical aspects that 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 come with that, that is the vehicle. And while you're playing a solo, you're not thinking about every single note you're playing. You're thinking about the next idea. But while you're thinking, you know, you're navigating these chord changes by, by ear and, 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 and all that. You're not, you're not thinking about, oh, I have to go f- from this scale to this scale, or I have to go from this note to this note necessarily. Um, so the big thing I've been doing is 
when I get to um, the more technical aspect of my jazz routine, I try to find ways to practice my scales and arpeggios in a way that reflects what you would hear in the music. So, for instance, I instead of running my major scales and three forms of natural minor that I would do in my classical routine, I, I start with my bebop scale. So the, the first thing I do is I, I do run it up and down, but then I play it in a pattern and, and I play it in a way that would you would hear, you know, maybe an actual performer do. So... So, you know, that's an example, and I break it down. So the first first thing I play, it's the scale up and down. The second time, you know, I'm playing an enclosure around the root. An enclosure is, it's a device used by improvisers. It's, it's basically, it's just an embellishment, but it's a half step above, half step below, and then you land on the goal note, play the scale down, play four note enclosure around the third. When you get to continue down to the flat seventh, then play a major nine arpeggio up off of that, and then you end with this device that is commonly called the bebop lick. And then I run that in all 12 keys. And I try to get to the point where I'm, I'm not even thinking about it, but you know I can dissect it and I can explain to you exactly what it is I'm playing if I have to, you know, so that way I'm, I'm understanding the theory portion of it. I was wondering, so for a classical routine, you know, we we're talking about fundamentals and, you know, getting through all of our fundamentals and how you guys have mentioned how you, you find that they're similar. Your routine for your fundamentals are similar for both a jazz and a classical. It's just the way you approach it. From the mindset of fundamentals being like the most basic skills or tools that you need to have, I was wondering if there's any skills that are not included in a classical fundamental routine that you would add to a jazz routine to answer your question Ben, personally that's a big amount of what i work on so to to outline what that looks like my jazz fundamentals that i've dialed it down to there's three of them time and articulation harmony and progression sound and style those are my jazz fundamentals if you will and everything encompassing trumpet fundamentals always root into that. And I'll give you an example of what that looks like. So just like any routine, there are three parts, the warm up, the maintenance, and the practice part of any routine. Okay. The warm up, you do five to 10 minutes, depending on how long you need to warm up. For me, this looks like long tones, breath work, just getting my ears underneath me to where I am ready to play the day. The maintenance can end up anywhere from 15 to 30 minutes. I try not to spend too much more time on this just because during the practice, which is where I put most of my money, I try to anywhere from an hour and a half to, to three hours a day. And I want that to be my main focus because the maintenance is stuff I already know. And it's more just keeping the chops in check. So fundamentally speaking, I talked about time, articulation, harmony, progression, sound style. Obviously, these are no specific order, but these are the areas that I attack. So I'm just going to (laughs) attack one at a time real quick. So the first and foremost is time and articulation. In jazz music, rhythm is essential. Not just jazz music, but any music for that matter. And with that said, 
we need to put more focus on what that is. In jazz music, we play a variety of time signatures, not just 4-4, 3-4, 2-4, cut time, whatever. We don't just play those time signatures. Sometimes we play 5-8 a lot of times. We improvise with that. So I make sure that I'm attacking those types of things in different time signature. On that, I am practicing always on what we had talked about in the previous episode, my swing feel, being able to play in the pocket. And this always gravitates towards making sure that my articulation is is where it needs to be. For me, focusing on articulation, one of the resources that I like to use is The Art of the Jazz Trumpets by McNeil and go through that and, and focus on the back accent tugging. But for those classical musicians, something that, I, that I've been doing that I love to challenge you guys on is doing Clark 2 and back accenting the the upbeats and so what that sounds like and this is kind of fun to do is accenting the upbeat so it always has this and it has this forward and i'm using a two articulation and then you just do your best to find the style there articulation wise that's a big part of what i do i warm that up to where i can play those things and then i do groupings of twos and threes and mix that up before i talk you guys it's year off i'll just summarize the other two Real quick, time and articulation is something that I spend a lot of time on, obviously. But our harmony and progression is the other fundamental, and I primarily use tunes, and I practice the harmony on that. I go through tunes, I learn the progressions through ear first from a recording, and then I practice those chord progressions, and then I isolate and practice them individually. And then sound and style. First, <laughs> that one is huge. Uh, transcription is probably the best way I, I attack that. And I can go into detail about what that looks like. Um, but something that I love to do is listen to a recording that I'm really into. Listen to the soloist and take the improvisational concepts that that person's doing and understand them and then try to do that over uh, a chord scale do the same improvise or a tune say for example a person is just doing triplets or broken triplets take that concept and just improvise over a certain chord scale in that and and just do that over and over and over again that's really cool what i find interesting is is you actually you incorporate learning tunes into your your routine i actually keep it separate it's the same thing with like the classical thing i'll do like a sight reading thing at the end of my routine i'll either sight read like a jazz etude or i'll improvise and, and look at a tune i don't know but as far as like learning like working on music i always do that outside of my routine so do you feel like that has benefited you so glad you asked because for the longest time i compartmentalized a lot of stuff a lot of stuff and there's nothing wrong with doing that personally. I I did that with classical 
routines all the time. And it allowed me to isolate and focus on specific details of my playing. And I think there's a lot of merit to that depending on where you are in your development. However, the older I've become and the less time I have, I try to kill two birds, three birds, four birds with one stone. And the it's more very violent. Yeah, I know. Uh, We're all about bird killing on the Life <laughs> podcast. We love birds though. Just wanted to throw that in there. We're just um, throwing everything. Throwing yes, that's right. We're throwing everything. As much as I can, I try to go straight to the music as best as I can and incorporate that into the routine. So if I'm practicing a gig, I'm working on those tunes and then putting all the fundamentals into those tunes instead of painstakingly going around the circle every time around half steps, minor thirds, thirds, fourths, and fifths uh, root movement when you're practicing a certain specific thing. Now, I'm not saying that's wrong and you'll learn those things, but if you could just do the same thing in a tune, then you'll learn the tune at the same time. So that's that's just my approach. And and neither are wrong. I'm just, that's kind of something that I've learned. So I really like the harmony and progression aspect of your routine. I think that's one that later on, I'm probably going <laughs> to try to relate all these back to a classical musician, how they can apply similar concepts to learning their music. But you said that you are learning tunes in your routine. And I know David, you learn tunes and every, all jazz musicians have to learn tunes and progressions and stuff like that. How do you actually go about learning those? Not just finding them, but how do you actually work them out so that you have them under your fingers and in your head? So there's, there's a couple, there needs to be a balance first and foremost. I will start with that of thinking about it and hearing it. But usually when you practice it in isolation that much, you'll hear it eventually. <laughs> you just work it into the head, work it into the ears. So one way that I like doing it, I know, David, you have like a bunch of different ways of doing, uh, practicing this, but I got this from Steve Kowalczyk. It's up, up, down, down, up, down, down, up. All right. These are the different shapes that you can use when practicing chord scales or chords for that matter. Now, that sounds like a cheat code that you can use for Mario. <laughs> it is a cheat code, Ben. Yeah. <laughs> left, left, down, down, right. That's right. right. <laughs> <laughs> it totally sucks. This is the first time I ever thought about so that. So this actually. is the jazz cheat code? This is the, the jazz tunes cheat code? This is the jazz cheat code. Yeah, I like it. So harmony, I'm going to define harmony as being able to play the chord. Chord tones, one, three, five, seven. All right. Nine, 11, 13. Those are the chord tones. You have the upper structure triads, and then you have the regular chord tones in the chord. Whenever practicing a chord, this is what I use. Now, when practicing the harmony, all right, up, up, down, down, up, down, down, up. All right. This is the approach. So I'll go straight up and up and down, down, up, and then back down, and then down, and then up in these motions, all right? And if you want to run it straight up all the way through, so 1, 3, 5, 7, 9, 11, 13, that's, you just do it in that motion. Or here's something that I like to do as well. Once you can do it diatonically, all right, straight forward, put it in thirds. 
put it in fourths, put it in groupings of twos and threes, fours, or fives. Okay. And you use that same shape. This is what jazz musicians usually use on a technical standpoint. This is the thinky part. This is the part, the stock part. All right. The other part, which I am starting to migrate towards and make sure that I connect my ear to what other jazz musicians are doing is listen to a recording, take the concept, the improvisational concept that they're using for that harmony, okay, and then apply it. And then you, let's just say you're using a pentatonic scale, all right? You only have five notes to play with. All right, try to make it sound like that thing that they're doing on that recording. All right. And that way it frees up the mind a little bit because when you think too much, which is I'm a very I'm a huge culprit for that. And often earlier in my jazz development, still in my jazz development, I think too much. The more I can listen and just focus on small things at a time, it, it, it allows it, one to be way more fun. And two, then I'm just focusing on a small chunk at a time because it's a lot. It's a lot to think about. Yeah, I do something similar. So I, I work, I do my transcription and, and working on tunes outside of my routine. But what I do is when I do the transcriptions, I'll pull patterns or, or licks, chord progressions, like what, what Chris is talking about, different ways to navigate harmony. And I'll take that and then I'll insert it into my routine as a technical exercise. So I'm getting that, I'm developing the muscle memory, I'm getting that you know, under my fingers and I've already analyzed it and I, I hear it and I'm ingraining it in my ear. But one of, one of the things I do is, is try to come up with new ways. So, so I was actually talking to Greg Gisbert about this. If you take, if you transcribe four, two, five patterns or three, six, two, five patterns, you can chop those up and stitch them back together. So you're, yeah, originally you started out with four patterns, but you can break them apart and you have, you, you have a lot more. I, I couldn't actually tell you the, the math of how many that is, but it's a lot more than just four. And um, you can come up with different ways. And, and, you know, the way Chris is talking about, one of the reasons why I practice my scales and my arpeggios the way I do is you typically, when we're running our scales, we're starting on the root and we're going up and we're coming back down. And the same thing with our arpeggios. The simple thing that you can do is start practicing the stuff on different chord tones, but also when you when you hear music, it's not just a line up and then it stops or a line down, right? It's it's hills and valleys, it's up and down, up and down. So finding ways to connect chords, a sequence of chords where you're creating these these shapes. So so if I'm practicing a blues, a good place to do this is like the that that three six two five starts on the the end of the second phrase and carries on through the beginning of the third phrase. So we're playing it playing a G blues. So it'd be a B minor seven to E seven, A minor seven to D seven, and then the 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 three six are in one measure, and then the two five are stretched out stretched out across two measures. <laughs> end on the one chord third of the one chord but doing stuff like that really helps ingrain that sound in your ear but you know you're you're practicing you're practicing the music right it's not that that's that's a way to connect what you're doing in your routine directly connect it to 
how it should be applied when you're actually performing. So I was wondering, because in my mind, you know, I'm just trying to compare everything you guys are saying back to a classical routine, you know, and we've talked about routine a lot for classical fundamentals. And one of the things that we've mentioned, I think almost every time we've brought it up is incorporating rest into the practice session and how that can be beneficial. I was just wondering if that changes at all for a jazz routine and how you may use rest differently or if at all. Absolutely. So rest is huge for trumpet brass players. All right. And those saxophone players and piano players can go kick rocks because as brass players, we ne- we definitely need to rest. And something that I like to do is, so I have my drum genius on. I'll have whatever drum beat that I'm working on. And it's, it's great because I'll play, here we go. I'll play a phrase, whether that's four bars, eight bars, six bars, two bars, whatever. And then I'll let a phrase go by and I'll sing what I'm working on in a Clifford Brown manner. Okay. Or I'll just improvise. I'll improvise what I'm hearing in my head if that's what I'm working on. And so that's that's one way I incorporate rest. Another great thing to do is jazz is, is such a social music that whoever I'm playing on, I'll trade with them. They play four bars or a phrase. I play four bars. And then we kind of work towards that. It's just a nice way of doing it. So you're constantly practicing and then on and off the horn one it's the one-to-one ratio that way and you could do the same thing with piano same thing two things i do we talked about the ipro or irealpro app on our last episode and one of the cool things that you can do in that is you can you know say if you're working on cherokee i think i actually used the same example last time but if you're working on cherokee and you really just need to work on the bridge you can isolate the bridge but you can also just let the you know put put the recording on 30 times and just rest while you're going through the A section and just practice the bridge when it comes around. That way you're, you're getting some time off the face. Another great thing to do is to learn tunes with friends. And, you know, jazz, when you're improvising, it's a communication. So this is a good way to practice that. So, you know, you play a chorus or two and you rest and while they play a chorus or two. And then you can start, you know, playing ideas off of each other. You can trade fours, trade eights. 12, whatever you want to do. Um, but, but you know, that that's beneficial for multiple reasons outside of just resting. Also, something that you need to practice as a jazz musician is using space in your solos. And there's multiple reasons why that's important. You know, probably the most important one is so that you actually have musical phrases that make sense. But also, it allows you a chance to get the horn off your face, to get the blood back in the lips. And um, when you're playing three sets, you need to learn how to pace yourself. You know, it's it's kind of you you kind of have to coast a little bit. But you but it's a good way to practice that. One thing that I also like to do is playing as soft as possible when I can, keeping the face just fundamentally right in front of me. Now, that's not to say playing loud never happens. Trust me, it happens. But 
just keeping that face right in front of me, playing it soft to where you're not spending your chops because oftentimes, at least with beginning improvisers, beginning trumpet players for anything, we just, we're trying to connect the improvisational mind to the technical mind. There's a lot going on right here. And we want to make sure that that ear is straight to the, the fundamentals. Playing soft is a great way to start that. You know, a lot of what you guys are talking about seems to me like these individual sections could be practiced for hours every day. And I'm, I'm wondering, because in a classical routine, it seems like there's a somewhat clear divide of what is routine work and what is practice work. So on the jazz side, do you, how does the actual practice session differ from routine work? Or is it just you just extend the routine work? to go for a couple hours well as i mentioned before you know when i, when I was talking to chris he, he incorporates learning the tunes in his routine i i've always kept that that separate and i try to treat the routine as more of a maintenance mechanical thing I, i'm taking i'm taking elements you know that i've done in transcriptions and i'm working on that like i'll run patterns instead of clark studies but what i usually do is i burn my chops out in an hour in a maintenance routine and then hours later in the day then I'll work on music and yeah I'll, I'll pick like if I have a gig coming up I'll I'll take a look at the tunes that I have to prepare for that and I, I'll spend I'll work on sight reading but I'll also spend you know a couple hours working just on those tunes but I'll find three different recordings of each tune and I'll listen to them a lot and and this is not just in one session right if I, I i'm planning this out across multiple sessions and i'll listen to these three different recordings i try to pick them from different time periods so that i'm getting a, a feel for different styles you know we, we mentioned this before if you show up and play with a swing band and you're burning like woody shaw that it doesn't fit the mood of the the ensemble that you're playing with so finding different ways to approach these tunes from 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 different eras and I, one of the things I do is I'll actually improvise along with the recordings. And what I do is I'll start to actually pick up the ideas that these that the masters are, are playing. And I can start to incorporate that in my solo. Then after that, then I actually think about what the actual changes are. And I start to try to learn the tune itself. But I have this... You know, I have these three different recordings that I can use as, as something to fall back on that, okay, so he, you know, on, on this one, Miles does this here. On, on this recording, Woody does this here. How does this work? Why is this working? And I can take a look at it from that that perspective. But that that's when I really actually dive into the music. So for me, I try my best to get straight into the practicing. The maintenance, as much as, as, as important as it is, and this might be the biggest thing that differs from classical routines to the jazz routine. And this is my personal approach is there's so much stuff to practice on a musical level. And what I mean by that is learning the progression, learning harmony, learning our style and improvising that big mountain of a task that I, I get right into it. I get right into that. I talked to Tom Amend about this, actually. He, we were talking 
routine jazz uh trumpet routines because he he plays trumpet too he's really good actually and we started talking trumpet fundamentals and it was funny because i was talking about oh you gotta do this you gotta make sure your face is put together you gotta make sure you gotta fit those lip slurs in because trumpet players need to play lip slurs you know and long tones and he looks at me he's all like he's all yeah i understand that's all important but why if you're just like getting a jazz trumpet player, a, routine, a jazz musician, you know, wanting to play jazz, you got to get into the harmony. And I'm talking to a piano player, okay? Just, but when he said that, it made a lot of sense to me. We don't spend as much time on the harmonies as we should, you know? And so with that said, the difference between the routine part or the maintenance is what i like to call it to the practice part is the maintenance part can be in the practice part i kind of combine them by going slow really slow in the practice routine slow enough to where i'm concentrating both on the fundamentals and the harmony or the whatever i'm working on so slow that my mic can keep up and connect both spheres to where that it bridges that gap because you don't want to play incorrectly. Chris, I love that you added harmony to your list of fundamentals that you work on for the jazz routine. And as I was listening to you guys talk about the fundamentals that you work on and, you know, David, you mentioned it, the fundamentals don't really change for you. You, you really have very similar fundamentals than you do for, for your jazz routine than you do for your classical routine. And so I was thinking, you know, we've talked about or at least alluded to the whole balancing the classical routine versus the jazz routine. But it kind of sounds like like that concept within the same day isn't really a concept as much as it is. If I'm going to do a, a fundamental routine today, am I going to approach it in the classical style or am I going to approach it in the jazz style? And then you might rotate that. Am I off on that line of thought? How do you guys think of that? I schedule my week based on two things. First of all, if I have a gig, a gig coming up, and then two, what are my long-term goals? But typically what I do is I, I break the week up. Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I do a jazz routine and I do a jazz practice session. Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, I do a classical routine and a classical like music session. And then Sunday, whatever I feel like, I, I use Sunday as either a day of rest or I work on something that I didn't think I, I spent enough time on over the, the past week. But uh, And I mentioned this a long time ago on a previous episode, but you know there, there are people that they just do the one thing, so they don't have to break it up. But for those of us that are crossover players that play multiple styles, we have to be okay with you know, it's like the tortoise in the hair. We have to be okay with moving and progressing at this slower rate. That doesn't mean that you progress as a trumpet player at a slower rate. I mean, you're still practicing the trumpet every day and you're still hitting all the fundamental routines. But, you know, if if you're working on two five patterns and you're breaking it up, you know, you're splitting a week and a half to work on those versus someone who is just doing that, they're going to progress on that facet quicker so you have to be okay with that and you have to you know it's just you got to look at the long-term 
benefits of that. And one of the things that keeps me positive about it is I see the benefits of working on a classical routine show up in my jazz playing and then also vice versa. You know, it, when I'm when I'm sight reading a classical etude, I hear these cadence points, you know, I hear it coming because I've spent so much time working with harmony and then I know from the get-go, oh, I should put more weight on certain notes because this is going to have a more musical, um, satisfying effect. I couldn't agree with you more, David. The idea of hearing it is so important. And I, w- I would like to just stress how important that is. I-, I mostly work on jazz right now, but you know, the idea of Monday, Wednesday, Friday, jazz, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, classical really works. It's it's a nice way to compartmentalize the two. But let's just say for the folks that I play in a jazz band and then orchestra in the afternoon, <laughs> which we did at UNC very, very much. The biggest thing that worked for me was flipping the switch, finding an anchor in the jazz style as opposed to the classical style is very important. All right. For me, it was articulation and feel, time feel. All right straight eighth notes as opposed to swung eighth notes for the for the style and then the articulation something with a little bit more crisp and more defined and clarity in the classical style and something a little bit more smooth and airy and that would be in the in the jazz style so for those things that worked for me and i would just suggest and this is just all from personal experience equipment change helps too Okay, for me, I played when I first came to UNC, I played everything on one horn. And, you know, for some folks, that is what you have and work with what you have. Okay, but mouthpieces, you can get a different mouthpiece that helps Uh, something that that models the sound that you're going after. But eventually, when you get into it, a different jazz horn as opposed to a classical horn, they are different. All right. That helped me a lot when switching flipping the switch and then i could do that on a day-to-day basis and i would just last thing i would add is when you're doing a routine put as much space between them as possible so do your classical routine in the morning put your put your hour and a half two hours in the morning rest a whole bunch and then go straight into your jazz practicing routine uh later that afternoon or evening yeah, that I'm glad that you brought that up, Chris. I I was the same way. I, I had a, a couple of other horns when I first came here, and I, I did a little bit of the switching around. But when I really settled into, okay, this is my classical gear. This is my mouthpiece I use. This is the trumpet I use. And then this is my jazz gear. You know, when I first got this, this Bobby shoe, I didn't like my sound on it at first because it was brighter than what I was, what I was used to. But now... Just the feel, the weight of the horn, and the way the mouthpiece feels, it's just slightly different from the classical gear. It's its much easier for, for me to switch mindsets. Something else that I've realized and I've been working on, I actually play my setup, I play more efficiently when I'm playing in a jazz setting, and I don't know why it is. I think it's just the stress in this constant run for perfection that you deal with in a classical 
you know, sit performance situation, working on rep, but I get really tense. And so something I've started doing is like my sound will start to get weird or I'm, I'm not, I feel really tight when I'm playing like through a classical etude and I'll stop and I'll play the opening to Stella by Starlight and it just resets me. It's back to this like efficient thing. Like it's weird. So I'll, I'll, you know, it, so I'm trying to figure that out. I'm trying to juggle the mental thing. Why, when I'm playing a classical etude, I start playing inefficiently versus, you know, I'm super chill and relaxed when I'm playing, you know, playing in a jazz situation. But the the equipment thing can definitely can definitely help. While you guys were answering that question, it something popped in my head, and and this is an issue that I've struggled with again because I I have studied jazz in the past, and I am a lead player, so I do play in jazz settings a lot and I feel comfortable in the style but how much if at all do you abandon the classical fundamental ideals like clarity of articulation um, sound all that stuff how much if at all do you abandon that when you're working on jazz in your routine I don't think I abandon the fundamentals however I do think in particular when it comes to sound and inflection i i don't think it's I, I think of like the classical sound the classical thing as my foundation and we talked about this before that actually if you think about the amount of people that play classical music versus commercial and jazz the classical thing is actually the more extreme but i try to keep that as my base so i look at like manipulating sound or using inflections i think of them as as special techniques so it, you know i might i strive for this to be my bass sound but if i'm playing like a tune i might try to make it sound like miles davis or, or chet baker I'll try to get that airy, but I always come back. The foundation being that that you know very uh, resonant sound that you want in, in an orchestral situation. The fundamentals never go away ever. Now inflections come and go, but the fundamental foundation of are your chops together? Are are you set up fine? You know, are you breathing correctly? Are you st sitting up straight? That never goes away because. Basically, what I'm trying to say is when you try to differentiate the jazz sound from the classical sound, they're drastic. There's in jazz sound, there's a lot of sometimes there's a lot of air in the sound. Okay, so that means fundamentally your your chops are not engaged, possibly, your chops are spread, possibly, all these things like that. I will say that's probably what's going on. I don't want to overthink it too much. But I will say this, whatever sound you're going after, you still have to fundamentally play correctly. Otherwise, you only last 10 minutes. And I would just like to add that yet that's the part you have to figure out as, as a musician between both is how far to the left can I go while still maintaining a fundamental setup? How far can I bend that note? How airy can I make this 
without making the chops expand farther than they can they they should go or another way of looking at it is how much subtone can i get away with for playing a two-hour gig and still be fine the next day and that that is something that can't be easily answered other than you get an instructor a jazz instructor that does it well i Wynton marsalis is probably the guy that i think about the most when it comes to jazz fundamentals or fundamentals for that matter being able to play both because he he understands fundamentals and then he knows where that line is at and if you go past that line you have to bring it back otherwise your face is going to be it's going to be wrecked as you guys are talking about all this these thoughts just keep flooding my mind and one of the ones that kept coming back is this idea of style and switching between styles and not just jazz and classical, but, you know, switching between David, like you were saying, a Miles Chet sound and then in, like into a Winton sound. And I'm, I'm wondering how you guys manage all of those different sounds and how you can just flip that switch so efficiently between them when you're practicing, performing, all the above. It just goes back to, in my opinion, it goes back to playing by ear. It goes back to the transcriptions. It goes back to like what I was talking about where I'm playing along with the the actual recordings, not just with the play along. I'm Not only am I picking up harmonically on what they're doing, but I'm also picking up on what inflections they're using. I'm picking up on the tone that they're using, you know, and you, you get, you know, multiple extremes, you know, you you know, like you take a, there's different ways to approach a blues. You know, you can take, like take Sir John off of the album Big Six by Blue Mitchell. You know, he approaches it in a very specific way. And then you approach the tune Birdlike and, you know, the Freddie Hubbard's recording. You know, they approach, it's it, they're both playing the blues, but they're approaching it in different ways, both harmonically, how they're playing it, how they're, in, what their inflections are like, what their tone is like. And, you know, it's like you flip a, a light switch. It's like, okay, I'm, in a, I'm playing in a nightclub. There's someone sitting right in front of me. My bell is in their face. I can't play like Freddie Hubbard right now. I can't, I can't play with that, or at least with that sound. I can't play with that rich, in-your-face tone that he has. I need to play more reserved. So I need to think about, okay, what other recordings have I listened to? What other vibes can I create? What, what have I heard that would suit this situation better? So that's, so, you know, then I think about, you know, my, my favorite recording of the, of the standard if it happened to you is, is actually a miles recording. So I, I go to that one a lot and that's kind of like the default thing I have running in my head when I'm playing the tune and I can go outside that and use other influences that I've had, but, you know, kind of like my default and the decision I make is to is to use that Miles as my main inspiration, or Miles recording for my main inspiration for that. Finding your favorite recording, because that's what you're going to hear, connecting this ear to, to what's actually coming out of the horn, I think that that's exactly what it is. And if I had to add on everything that you just said right now, was <laughs> it's perfect. If I had to add on to that, is there's going to be a point where you're not trying to sound like other folks. You've done that work already, if you will. Maybe you do want to sound like other folks, uh, but then there's going to be a point where you're going to just sound like yourself as well. And that will be achieved after you do what David just said, where you're, you're transcribing and you're listening and you have that 
artist in your ear guiding you. But then you do it so much, then you're creating and expressing your own voice because you've done that work of learning jazz style and sound. All right. That's something that can happen right now as a beginner jazz improviser or uh, later down the road as a veteran, one that's put in a lot of miles on the horn, uh, a lot of transcribing. So it, you can insert that wherever I would do it later down the road so you can hear all the beautiful music that has been played already. It, it's fun when you can do it that way. I have a question for Derek. He says he's he doesn't really do a jazz routine, but he, he does incorporate a lot of lead stuff into his, his routine. So I, I would actually argue that he, depending on the gear he uses, he, he does have a jazz commercial routine. And I'd just like to ask him what, what he does in his classical gear, how that differs from what he's using, what he's doing when he's using his jazz or his, his lead trumpet setup. What are the differences and what is he focusing on and all that? So in general... The general answer is nothing changes for me. Now, again, I'm not I'm not working on the, on improvising. I'm not working on my ear, although it's something I want to do, should do, and that's why this is such a good podcast for me. I was actually thinking I need to start doing some of the stuff you guys were talking about, but my routine doesn't change. I do switch every day between my classical gear and my lead gear. So one day I'll be playing everything on my C trumpet with a one C and then the next day is my B flat with my lead mouthpiece. And my lead mouthpiece is somewhat small, obviously makes lower notes a little harder, but I don't approach anything differently. I still try to get the same sound. I try to get the same clarity of articulation. I think the thing I struggle the most with is it's much more difficult to do my articulation work on my lead gear just because the mouthpiece is so much smaller, it just causes it just causes a lot of issues. But essentially, I force myself to just say, yes, it might suck. It might not sound anywhere near as good on this equipment as it does on the classical stuff, but I'm going to force through it because I'm trying to work on, I'm just trying to work on fundamentals. So I might be a little slower. Often when I'm doing my articulation, one of the things I'm really working on now is getting my low articulations so i mostly work on low f sharp and i'm for my classical stuff i can't do that on my lead gear so i go to low c and i might work down to f sharp but i'm not just starting on f sharp other than that that's essentially all that changes on my classical gear i'm still trying to work into the upper register and work through connecting all my registers my top note might be my top note's actually essentially the same on any of the gear. It just sounds a little different, a little thinner, obviously, on a 1C than on my lead stuff and on a C trumpet. But, I mean, really, that's a long way of saying nothing changes at all. I try to keep it exactly the same. And I'm not even trying to play it in a lead, a lead with a lead style, lead trumpet style. I'm practicing the fundamentals with the, essentially the same style as a classical trumpet, but then... I listen to so much big band that when I have to go play in a lead context, I just play the way I know it's supposed to sound. That's a great point that you just made, Derek. Listening, you can get so much information just from listening. Listening is, you know, people ask, you, you will come up to you and ask you all these questions and, you know, about well, what do I need to do to sound good and all this stuff. And 
you know, as a, as a teacher, you have information to give them that, that can benefit them. But a lot, a lot of time, the information is right there in the recording. They just, you, you really, a lot of the times what we do as teachers is just direct their ear to what they should be paying attention to. And, you know, once you show them, they identify what that sound is that they need to be listening for, then they, you know, they'll get more, they'll get more out of listening for an hour or two to uh, recording than you, than someone talking at them. So on our last episode, we did a jazz Q and A and we, we talked about classical musicians getting into jazz and we answered a lot of questions pertaining to that. In light of that, I was wondering if you guys could maybe elaborate a little bit more on what general advice would you give classical players that are looking to begin a jazz routine for the first time, essentially? Well, I would encourage you to avoid trying to reinvent the wheel. I would start simple and take the exercises that you are already uh, already using and find ways to either practice them in a jazz style or the big thing, you know, we were talking about harmony, understanding harmony. Start thinking more theoretically about what what about what it is you're playing. Like, for instance, if you're playing Clark 3, are you actually thinking about that pattern as you're playing the one chord, four chord, and five chord? Or is it just a technical exercise that you're blowing through to improve your finger dexterity? You know, if you think about it as, let me back up a little bit, get your face out of the page. Everything that you're practicing, start doing without music and break it down, understand what it is and get used to that, breaking it down and understanding it from an analytical standpoint. So like Clark three, I don't like my Clark studies. I'm not looking at the music. I'm doing it all in my head and I'm thinking, okay, this is the one chord, four chord, five chord, you know, so there's the four chord and then so on and so on. Start practicing your scales in a different way. Find ways to make musical sense. Uh, resolve, find ways to resolve chord tones. Start thinking about what is what are gold tones. Um, you know, we, we kind of mentioned gold tones before. You know, play a pattern or play an exercise that you're doing and figure out a way to resolve that to, to where it makes musical sense. Uh, start altering the things that you're you're playing. If you're if you've played Clark two your whole life. Alter it so you're playing it in minor now, but don't don't write it down. Don't look at paper. Think about it. How do I actually alter this to where it's minor? Maybe play it in natural minor. Play it in harmonic minor. Melodic minor doesn't really work because on that Clark two, you don't ever play the sixth scale degree. But did you ever realize that you never played the sixth scale degree on that pattern? You know, understanding stuff like that. The, the idea of taking the stuff that you already know and just putting it in the jazz style, that, that's a huge one, fundamentally speaking. If I had to give advice, just like any musician, you work up a song that you're going to be performing, whether it's an etude, a solo, whatever it is. That's what I would recommend. And then you take fundamentals that are in that song and you practice those fundamentals individually classically speaking do the same thing in a jazz style so let's just say you want to learn a blues okay a blues it could be any tune it could be really any tune but let's just take a blues for a jazz a classical musician learning how to play 
a jazz routine, what are the elements in a blues? All right. What are the things that you can play in a blues? Take those fundamental concepts and put them into a routine. All right. And that is all encompassing. That can be articulation. That can be style. That can be the harmony that you use. And from there, practice those fundamental things, then play them into the tune. And then, yeah, that, that would be my biggest suggestion, not to belabor all the details that go along with it. Uh, but that, that would be my, my approach. I agree with Chris. I think the blues is a great place to start. And honestly, I think, you know, a lot of times you see people starting with so what, because, you know, understanding the Dorian mode seems like it's an easier task. However, I believe you you really should start with the blues. But this brings me to my my question for Chris real quick. What I have my own bias against this, but I want to hear your opinion I'm not a fan, and I've, I've said this before, I'm not a fan of just handing someone the B-flat blues scale. I guess, how do you approach learning the blues? How would you, do you think that you should use the blues scale? How, how do you, I mean, what do you think is the best way to approach that? What I would suggest is, as far as the blues scale goes, yes, it's overdone. It's Unfortunately, where a lot of educators go to because they don't know. They're, they get handed a method book that's, let's play some jazz tunes, and a blues is in there, and then they, a blues scale is on every chord scale diagram. It's the worst. So what I would recommend when starting off is, again, coming down to that basic fundamental. We have to train the ear to hear what we're going to play. We can't think about it all the time. I mean, thinking about it's good when you analyze it and stuff like that, but if you have nothing to base it off of, then it's just a bunch of thought notes. And then later down the road, that's going to, it's going to bite you in the butt. So what I would suggest doing is listening to a blues recording that that player is really interested in. All right. And from there, starting off simple, Take the concept, harmonic concept, from that solo. Let's just say we're listening to Wint Marsalis. He plays a lot of pentatonics. All right. Take that five-note pattern and just play, improvise with that. Give him a limitation of five notes. All right. Now we can concentrate on rhythm and feel because that is a huge part, at least, and, and David, I know you're like, a, <laughs> you're the first person who told me about this, is feel you got to feel you got to hear it and you got to feel it and when and thinking about it comes later down the road but really like simplifying and allowing your brain to concentrate on one thing at a time really uh that's what that'd be the advice that i would suggest nice yeah that, that that's good advice i i get it gets so frustrating you know if you, if you think about what the chord changes are in a, in a typical 12 bar blues right? They're all dominant chords. You have a major third there. And what ends up happening is you hear people just running this B-flat blues scale up and down, or, or not just the B-flat blues, but you just hear them running this blues scale up and down. And you never hear that major third. You never hear the major third. And it, oh man, it just, it gets so weird, monotonous. Well, but Well, on top of that, you got the minor blues, and you have scale and the major blues scale. I mean, there's different blues scales that you can use if you're going to go that route. But they all derive from 
major pentatonics and minor pentatonics and and if you just keep sprinkling that that tritone in there it's just over like you said too much spice on your food i mean unless it's chili <laughs> unless you put peppers on it and you put a lot of spice on it i'm all for it uh but yes well and, and you can find examples of of solos where there are masters that play primarily notes out of the blue scale for a solo but there's a, they use a lot of space and they're playing solid ideas. They're not running the scale up and down. They're playing solid ideas. And, you know, then they'll, you know, they'll... Space. You know, they'll, like, do something like that. And it works. Well, and, and just on top of that, too, is they're making music. They're not thinking scales. They're not thinking. They've already put that time in already. You know, it takes a lot of work to get there, but they're thinking music. They're thinking conversation. They're they're talking with each other on the bandstand, and and that's something we get. A, we talk routines and stuff like that, and that's very. Yes, we need to look at the mechanics and the elements of these fundamentals. But man, keep your eye on the prize. It's making music. We need to express ourselves and have a conversation on the bandstand. So as we're getting close to time, I have a – every time I ask one of these questions, I forget what to call them. Lightning round, speed round, round table, round robin question for all of you. And for Ben and I, I think we'll, we will have an answer just from getting to hear about jazz routines today. And then uh, Dave and Chris, you guys will just uh, have probably thought about this. But if there was one thing – that a classical musician should take from this conversation of jazz routines and put into their classical routine that is traditionally, let's say, missing from a classical routine, what would that be for you? Just one thing. I would just suggest start, and I already kind of mentioned this, start thinking about how the exercises that you are practicing, how does that correlate to the actual music and literature that you're performing mine would be articulation style everything <laughs> play the Haydn jazz baby uh <laughs> no just kidding that'd be fun though play it in a jazz articulation like really dive into the time and articulation and and whatever you're working on my first thought was what david said like the, just adding just starting to think about everything that you're playing in your, your routine already and think about the harmony involved in it, thinking about the, you know, the theory involved in it. That's such excellent advice that even right now, like I, I'm kind of eager to start going in and thinking about that in my routine. The one that popped out to me and I actually wrote this question down, I don't know, an hour ago. <laughs> and it was based off something Chris said as part of his routine and it's the transcription aspect and that's listening and copying soloists the the imitation game and you know why have why are classical trumpet players not putting on a recording of Tom Stevens playing Haydn and trying to sound like Tom Stevens matching articulation matching sound matching style and it just doesn't it doesn't it's one of those things that it seems so obvious in a jazz context that we should be doing that we should be transcribing we should be learning things by ear which is an incredible thing i mean that's one thing 
I don't know if we should ever learn Haydn from the paper ever again. It's not that difficult, you know, and you can get so much out of learning that uh, something simple like that by ear. But then to take, we have recordings of every great trumpet player <laughs> since recording started playing the Haydn. The amount of resource in different timbres, different colors, different articulation, different style that you could get from copying Hokan, Sergei, Tom Stevens, Maurice Andre playing the Haydn seems like such a hidden resource that we aren't using. So that that would be that would be the thing from the jazz routine that I think classical musicians should do a little more of. Well, Derek, you, you brought up a great point. I, I I think that's a great idea, uh, especially for for stuff from the the classical era. But even baroque, you know, if you're wanting to, to dabble in improvisation, you know, we talked about this before. Improvisation is not just a jazz thing. It's in appears in multiple styles in music, and it's also in the classical tradition. Next time you're if you know if you start working on the Haydn, check out like listen to different recordings, listen to the cadenzas, learn the cadenzas by ear, learn the embellishments that they use in the actual song by ear, and then from there, you know, after you've listened to three or four different versions, come up with your own. You don't you don't need to play Maurice Andre's cadenza. You know what he played is awesome, and you can definitely quote it if you want or use part of it but come up with your own cadenza come up with your own embellishments that make sense stylistically but but you know come up with your own stuff i mean that is also i mean that is improvisation as well i think it's interesting to notice that if you look at the general jazz musician has such an understanding of the music that they're playing because of the way they have to study it to be able to improvise they understand the harmony they understand what they can play over the harmony. Um, they understand the tradition and what people sound like, the way different people sound, how different people sound different, and what type of language they use over the same harmony of this tune that doesn't change, right? And I think that if you look at the great so trumpet soloists, if you look at the Hokans and the Sergeys of the world, they know what the harmony of the tune they're playing. They know what the harmony of Haydn is. You know, they understand the language of Haydn and and they have the same understanding of the music they're playing that jazz musicians do of the music they're playing. And I think that at least in the academic setting, and of course just in in my own experience in the places I've been, I think that's an aspect of music that we aren't getting a lot of the time. That just because we're a classical musician, and yes, nowadays we're playing off paper generally, we get to look at the parts, we have these excerpts we have to learn, and they need to sound a certain way if you want to get a job. We are losing that aspect of the understanding of the underlying music and how we can sit on top and build from those foundations. Yeah, I don't know. I, it's just it's a very interesting thought, and maybe something to that us classical musicians should think about more when we're t looking at our own routine and how we're dealing with learning music and why are we playing what we're playing and why are we practicing it the way we're practicing it. That's going to wrap it up for today. I want to thank everybody for tuning in to this week's podcast on jazz routines. For those 
who are looking forward to the upcoming podcasts. We have a very special guest. His name is Greg Gisbert. We are so ecstatic to have him join us because we have so many questions to ask him. And on top of that, he's just an amazing guy. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at rtrumpetlife at gmail.com. You could also reach us at Facebook and or the IG. Have a great day. Get after practicing. Stay sharp, but not too sharp. You want to make sure that you're a little flat on the pitch, but more in tune than anything. But make sure to tune in to us. Have a good day.